0: Learn more at Marines.com. Was it real? Was that rushing attack that we saw over those final nine games real? Because if it wasn't, it's going to throw everything else we've been talking about out of whack. Good morning to you. Good. Thursday morning, I'm Dan Kovaciewicz of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates, the other two teams in town that I cover. Hope you can check those out as well. The Steelers went 7-2 and two down the stretch. The Steelers in that process had one trait that stood out above all others. They had a lot of positives, but one that was way up there. And that was the running game getting going for an average of 146.4 yards per game. And it wasn't just Najee Harris doing it on his own, meaning like with no help from the line or anything else. It was Najee and Jalen Warren and the line finding a fresh push and improved play calling when it came to the run and improved recognition on Kenny Pickett's part as to when to go there and when not to go there all of these added up and then from there combined with the Steelers facing some opponents that didn't handle the run particularly well some that did and ultimately it accounted for the driving force the Steelers ate up time of possession kept their defense off the field kept the other teams quarterbacks off the field. Everything worked out very nicely, very smoothly, and I dare say very Steelers-like-ish. And I think you know what I mean when I'm saying that. Because that's been the best version of the Steelers over the decades, is the one that just grinds it out on offense, eats the clock, and then when the defense does get on the field, those guys are fresh and ready and hungry and scrapping to get the football right back here's what Najee had to say about that run that seven and two run and the running game's role in that this was last week at minicamp i found like we i feel like we found our identity um you know early on we didn't know what we were there was a lot of stuff going on, especially the quarterback position, um, just bringing new guys in. Really, we didn't have our identity uh, where we're trying to look for it. And I think later on after that bye, we kind of figure out what we do best. And that's, uh, you know, playing solid football. That's what we do. We run the ball. You know what I mean? Uh, we have a good defense. Um, we got good players on the outside, so we try to get them the, the ball in, in space, which I get the deep balls downfield. But, you know, we got to control the line. You know, we got to control, um, you know, just that rushing attack so we can put more pressure on the defensive coordinator and figure out what to do they want to stack the box, then, you know, we got people on the outside. If they want to, you know, play six-man box, then we can run the ball. Um, So, I man, I think we just got into an area where we found out who we are. Pretty telling, right? And when he says it, you believe it. He just kind of has that tone about him. I'm going to share with you some funny stuff about Najee in this regard, though. If you go back to last season, this was the first half of last season. This was one... Frustrated individual, and he did a very poor job of masking that frustration. Najee has a little bit of a quirk to him when it comes to dealing with reporters. If it's the week of prep, if it's practice time or whatever, he he's going to turn down an interview. He's not going to be nasty about it or whatever. He's just going to say, you know, not now, not today, maybe later in a week, whatever. Okay. No big deal. That's... Pretty much par for the course right now with an NFL starter at a prominent position. But after a game, dude is so different. He will talk your ear off. He will actually seek you out. He's done this with me a few times after games. Mostly, I should add, during the second half of this past season. He always had a point that he wanted to make with me that had something to do with... This change or that change or the impact that the offensive line is having or how much it meant to him to have Jalen Warren out there uh, pushing him, not just by backing him up, but also by motivating him. He would see – Jalen would go out there, and you know exactly what I'm going to say now. He'd go out there in one of the situations where you'd see Najee kind of hesitating a little bit, maybe doing a little bit too much levy on, and then Jalen would go out there and just – right through the hole that Najee was supposed to hit. So I'd hear from Najee about how, how happy he was about that and how much stronger and more confident that made him feel and how much it meant to the offensive line to know that Jalen was going to hit the holes that they were creating and at the same time how he wasn't hitting the ones that they were creating for him. And then I'm hearing from the offensive line guys about how it was nice to have somebody hitting the holes. And then once Najee started hitting those holes, they felt like it was an even more rewarding experience doing the run blocking that they were. And you get the idea. This was all a really good, healthy osmosis. I believe in it. But I believe that much more in some of the specifics, if you were listening closely to what he said, outline a possibility to do even more with the running game. That doesn't mean more carries. That means more diversity to the attack. That means having more of an ability, and this is one of the things he brought up, to be able to hit the outside because they're going to be more adept at sealing the outside. Why? Why? Well, we'll see how the personnel line up. But if you've got yourself a Broderick Jones at left tackle and he does end up being an upgrade over Dan Moore over there and you throw in Darnell Washington on that same side, now you're looking at the Steelers being able to go around edge. And when have they done that in the past three years on any kind of consistent basis? When have you seen a running back, hit the edge. Is that because of a lack of, you know, burning speed on Najee's part? Is that the line? I don't know. I'm really eager to find out. Do not lose sight of this facet. It's only going to mean everything for this football team. When we come back, J1Q. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our good friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located on Federal Street, directly across from PNC Park. Mike has more than 500 beers on tap, including from more than 50 local breweries. Stop in and say hello. Tell Mike we sent you. Mike's Beer Bar. Today's J1Q comes from AW, and it's not a question at all. He writes, as a lot of you did, R.I.P., to Clark Hagen's, as well as condolences to family and friends. If you haven't heard, Mr. Hagen's passed away yesterday at age 46. At least that's when it became uh, confirmed and, and known to the public. There's been no word on cause of death for someone so tragically young, other than that there's no sign of foul play. Mr. Hagens was, of course, a significant contributor to the Steelers' victory over the Seahawks in Super Bowl XL, the one that was best known for Jerome Bettis finally getting to raise the trophy in Detroit. The franchise's fifth championship in that game. And those of you with really good football memories will have no trouble recalling this. Mr. Hagens had. Five tackles, a sack, a pass defensed, and one really big play on Seattle's first drive where he smartly read Matt Hasselbeck and where he was going to be in the pocket and brought him down for a sack, setting the tone for what wound up, I think people kind of forget this now because the Seahawks were dismissed, but that ended up being a 21-10 victory, so every play, especially the big plays, really counted. Mr. Hagens was a fifth-round pick out of Colorado State where he still holds the school record with 33 sacks. And in fact, over the 2005 regular season that led into that Super Bowl for the Steelers, he had nine sacks. And that was on a defense where, to be candid here, he was well down the list of prominent names. Part of what makes the Steelers who they are and who they've been for such a long time is that players like Mr. Hagens jumped up out of nowhere and became not just people who participated, but people who made an impact regardless of where they were selected, meaning in the draft, where they came from meaning their college, or where people's outside expectations were of them. Because once they'd get to Pittsburgh, whether it was under Chuck Knoll, whether it was under Bill Cower, whether it was under Mike Tomlin, it'd be made clear that what was valued the most about them was their potential fit in Pittsburgh. Mr. Hagens, by every account, had that fit to a T within the defense. They knew him. They loved him. They valued him. And when he was on the field, you know what I'm about to say now, right? Yeah, he met the standard. He was one of those standard guys because no one's thinking the fifth rounder out of Colorado State should be coming up with nine sacks in an NFL season, let alone a huge one in a Super Bowl. But when it happened, and those of you who were paying attention to the Steelers back then might be able to support me on this, but it was no big deal, meaning to you and me. It was just another guy making another play that was expected. Far, far, far too young, unthinkably young. Again, I appreciate all of those who sent Notes about this, uh, I was aware of it before recording yesterday's show, at least of one report. But I wanted to wait till there was a, a full official confirmation to make sure that no grand mistake would be made and cause anyone any kind of distress. We will have another episode of Daily Shot of Steelers tomorrow.